0: we have a responsibility um, to teach children about diverse experiences and to represent diverse experiences to our students because it's been said you know i'm not the first to say this but i'll reiterate it Um, education schools are a microcosm for our society i think you have something very similar in the description of your podcast Um, and so when we when we think about schools as a microcosm for society we have to start to ask ourselves um how we can create a better society. And we need to, we need to be mindful of different experiences and um, try to tap into the human potential in all of our students that exist, and that includes students with disabilities.
1: Welcome to Inclusive Occupations, sharing stories of not just being invited to the party but dancing. I'm your host Savita Sundar. I'm a school-based occupational therapist. This podcast is a space for OTs and others who work with children and youth in education to be informed, inspired and empowered to create an inclusive community for the students they serve. Welcome, everyone, to the second episode of season two of Inclusive Occupations. The focus of this season is to highlight researchers and people who specifically have implemented programs translating research findings to action. Our special guest today is Dr. John Freer from Ontario, Canada. Welcome, Dr. Freer. I am so thrilled to have you on our show today.
0: Thank you very much for having me on Inclusive Occupations.
1: So when I was on my quest to find exemplars who have translated research to action, I came across a wonderful article published um, this year, 2021, that talked about a program called the Tripartite Intervention that was so well grounded in research findings and um, addressed authentic social inclusion by addressing attitudinal barriers in children in schools. I was uh, really quite impressed by this program and decided to reach out to the author. And that is how I came to know of Dr. Freer. So the universe had the plan and I was aligned with it. And we have Dr. F. Freer um, here today on our show. I am um, going to tell you a little bit about his background Um, Dr. Freer works in two universities. He works as a professor in the School of Community Studies at St. Clair College in Windsor, Ontario. He's also an adjunct uh, assistant professor in in the Faculty of Education and Department of Psychology at the University of Windsor, where he teaches primarily in the areas of educational psychology and special education. And prior to his work in higher education, John worked in the K-12 school systems as an educational assistant. Also, I must add that he not just has two jobs, but two little kids who are both under two. That's right.
0: Yeah. and they're, Thankfully, they're napping right now. So hopefully it stays that way for the purpose of the <laughs> listeners make it a little more pleasing.
1: Well, I am very grateful that you have given your precious time <clears throat> to be here. So, John, you are here because of your work on social inclusion for students with disabilities, especially your work on addressing attitudinal barriers to inclusion. How did you get interested in this line of research? Uh,
0: awesome. Thanks for the question. Thanks again for having me on. Um, my interest in this work probably started when I was a child. Um, when I was in about the fifth grade, I was diagnosed with epilepsy. Um, and through those lived experiences, I began to notice various different reactions to my condition. And and when I told people um, that I had epilepsy, people reacted in different ways. And I, I think that became really interested in how people developed these different views and these different uh, attitudes towards disability. Some were very progressive, some were very charity-based, some were very um, uh, ableist in, 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 their, in their way uh, of speaking about disability. And I, I think I just became really, really fascinated by that. Um, fast forward several years, and I got into post-secondary, and I started learning about research methods, and I started learning about um how to propose a research question, and those intellectual curiosities that sort of um, that sort of began when I was a child, those seeds that were planted were starting to blossom and and I, I began to be, uh, to think more about how I could actually um, do research on this topic and uh, and understand more about uh, the nature in which attitudes develop. How, to, how do attitudes develop, and why mm-hmm. do attitudes develop uh, to be negative, neutral, or positive?
1: Interesting. So um, so you started working as an educational assistant before you went into higher education, right?
0: Well, I was working as an, uh, an EA, um, or I think in the states, often many states called a paraeducator. Um, mm-hmm. I was working um, concurrently while I was uh, doing my uh, education. As you mentioned earlier, two jobs, mm-hmm. two kids. Uh, it's a busy time in my life, but I've always kind of been that way. I've always done many things. And so uh, while I was a full-time student, I was also uh, a part-time educational assistant, working on supply, uh, being called out to various schools, which I love because uh, I got a, a lot of different experiences with um, different types uh, of uh, different students with different exceptionalities and different types of schools and cultures and climates. And um, it, it was really great. I
1: wanted to ask you about what you, how you would explain ableism to our listeners. There are so many ways we all hold <laughs> ableistic attitudes often unconsciously um i know i've caught myself so many times um and i never even knew those thoughts and those words were ableistic so how would you explain this concept to sure
0: so so ableism um might be a term that your listeners are familiar with or maybe it's not um it's maybe a lesser known uh ism out there Um, but like other isms like sexism or racism um Mm -hmm. A simple way to understand it is to look at it as a combination of one's prejudicial feelings, uh, stereotypical thoughts and discriminatory behavior. So those three things coming together create uh, can create uh, ableism. And that's just one definition. There are other definitions as well. Um, But when those three things come together based on an immutable characteristic of a person, whether it's race, sex or in this case, ability, This this can create a system of of uh, of ableistic thought and and um, and and ultimately impact one's behavior. Uh, some people refer to this as the ABCs. So we can think of it as um, A is for the affect. That's those prejudicial feelings. Uh, B is the behavior. Those could be discriminatory actions. And C would be cognition. And those are your stereotypical thoughts uh, or beliefs that you might hold about people with disability, generally speaking. Um, People with disabilities, as, as you probably know, um, are the largest minority group in the world. Um, they represent roughly 15% of the population. Mm-hmm. Uh, but unfortunately, the way that disability is presented historically and contemporarily um, to this day can be harmful because uh, we know from the disability rights movement that people with disabilities themselves uh, would say nothing for us, uh, nothing about us without us. Um, and mm-hmm. and so, so when we ask people with disabilities, um, you know, they will tell you, uh, or, or they have told us, that that these these ways of presenting disability through a charity lens or an inspiration lens um, are, are largely unhelpful for a variety of regions, which we can unpack further as we go through the podcast today.
1: Okay, I am really interested in learning more, but, you know, the focus of this podcast is to find out how we can use all these research knowledge and everything and bring it to actual practice. And Mm -hmm. that's exactly what you did in your, in your program, the the tripartite intervention program. So how, tell us a little bit about the program that you developed to address these attitudinal barriers.
0: Sure. So first off, as a contextual piece, um, my full-time job is I am a Um, a professor at St. Clair College in Windsor, Ontario, as you mentioned in the intro. And Mm -hmm. Canadian and Ontario colleges in particular are beginning to embark on a journey of applied research. Historically, these colleges um, did not engage in applied research, but recently we're we're starting to develop a research culture. And so um, that fits in really nicely with my philosophy because, as you mentioned, my research is very much applied. Um, Mm -hmm. For me, uh, what's most important to me in research is that it's useful. Actually, that's pretty much my motto in a lot of things. I tell my students a lot. I don't really, really care if you can memorize these ideas or not. But if you find it useful on your practicum experience or you find it useful um, uh, in the classroom, that's really what I'm aiming for. So I would say I'm I'm very much a pragmatist. I, I want things to be useful for people. And so um, I developed this tripartite intervention in my um, doctoral dissertation work. And it's a, it's, a, it's a complicated, it sounds like a complicated title, but it's very simple. The tripartite theory of attitude, which I presented earlier as the ABCs, um, is affect, behavior, and cognition. Those three things make up um, attitude, psychologically speaking. That's one, one theory of it anyways. Mm-hmm. And so um, what I was interested in from my childhood experiences was attitudes towards disability. So I started to scour the peer-reviewed journal articles on this topic and really invest myself in understanding everything I could possibly understand about the topic. And as Your one does... the dramatic
1: as they... review that you did, that you shared with me, that was amazing. So thorough and very, very informative. And I'm going to add all that to our show notes. So. Oh,
0: perfect. That'd be great mm-hmm. uh, for the listeners. Um, yes. Yeah, we can put all of those articles there for them. Um, so as one traverses the the scholarly work throughout their, their doctoral journey, um, they, they transition from consumer of the literature to contributor of the literature. And one way you do that is by identifying the gaps that exist. And so as we'll talk about later, I did the systematic literature review and, um, I found some important gaps. And one of the important gaps that I found is that, um, while there were many studies that attempted to, um, Change students' attitudes towards disability for the positive. Mm-hmm. There was very little. Um, there was well, the term that I, I used in the article was was um, metric intervention c- congruency or incongruency, and basically what that means is people are measuring attitudes by using subscales for affect, behavior, and cognition because mm-hmm. they recognize that attitude is made up of these three components. But then when mm-hmm. they go to change students' attitudes or teach students about disability in the classroom, they were really only doing the, the cognitive dimension. So they're just like, this is what a disability is. Here's some examples. Let's measure attitudes. Um, mm-hmm. Or some studies would have a behavioral component. And so they would include, and those studies were a little bit better. We would notice, Mm -hmm. I noticed in the findings that studies that included a behavioral component were a little bit more effective than those that were just in the cognitive dimension. Mm -hmm. And so um, those studies might include like an opportunity for students to engage in para sports or an opportunity to meet someone with a disability or an opportunity to otherwise behaviorally engage with that concept. Um, Mm -hmm. But the affective dimension was completely neglected for the most part. There were maybe one or two studies that, that might have touched upon it, but it wasn't explicit. Um, And I thought this is, this is interesting. Um, We measure attitudes. um, We measure attitudes with the tripartite theory in mind. But then when we go to teach students about disability, we aren't actually considering the affect of behavioral and cognitive dimensions. And so um, my tripartite intervention that was developed um, really focuses on Engaging students' feelings, the affective dimension; engaging their actions, the behavioral dimension; engaging their their cognitions, which is the, the thoughts and beliefs. Um, mm-hmm. So, so I developed these twelve lessons. I, I can go into some detail if you'd like about what each lesson includes. Um, but basically, yes. there are two mm-hmm. affective, t- or sorry, two cognitive lessons to begin. Students are introduced to a concept. Then there are two behavioral concepts where they get an opportunity to embody. The experience of what they learned in the cognitive dimension, and then wow. there are two affective dimension or affective lessons, which uh, are really aimed at helping students to um, to reflect on the feelings that they experience during the behavioral dimensions. And so, that, so we follow two units. One unit focuses on disability and inclusion, and the other focuses on disability and sports.
1: I love it, and I, I I really would love for you to talk a little bit more about this program because sure. I really hope that this operational knowledge on how things are done, I think is really helpful for, for our listeners to take it and implement it in their communities. So if you yeah. can give us an example of how a lesson looks like, Sure, that would be great.
0: So, okay, so we'll start with the first unit, um, the one on disability inclusion. In the very first lesson, I, ha- uh, I hand out a, a handout to the students, and on that handout is the word disability. And I ask them to provide in their own words, in words, symbols, pictures, whatever they're able to do, um, what their definition of disability is. And um, that's important because we need to know where students, um, uh, where their baseline understandings are. And so that can be helpful as an educator for a variety of reasons. When you collect these things and read it, you can start to cater your lessons based on responses that you received. So you can start to observe any stereotypical thoughts that might be in definitions or things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Then I asked students to imagine that there was a student with a disability coming to their classroom. Uh, and they were gonna join them as a peer in the classroom. Uh, it was gonna be a new kid um, and they happened to have a disability. And I said, draw that character for me in a picture form. And that is uh, that um, picture then helps us to understand what students are thinking about uh, in their mind's eye when they hear the word disability. Um, then uh, so uh, this we- this might be
1: of- a, a little, a good, to put this question. Now I know you did a mm-hmm. separate study, right? On on how um, on on these children's drawings and the mm-hmm. definitions of disabilities. Right. So tell us a little bit about what you found in that study, um, which was done prior to the article that I was talking about.
0: Sure. Yeah. So um, so when we asked students to define disability or to um, and to draw a picture with a disability, um, it helps us to understand a little bit about what they, how they conceptualize um, the idea uh, of disability in the first place. And so what I found was that students primarily define disability through what's called a deficit lens. So they were really emphasizing the negative components of disability. They were really emphasizing um, that disability meant that you cannot do something. Now that could be a, a direct... Um, a direct uh, interpretation of the word disability and speaks to the importance of progressive words like disability or or exceptionality, which is a term we use here uh, Mm -hmm. in Ontario. Mm
1: -hmm. Um,
0: But it also could be that students have observed the experiences of people with disabilities in schools and have seen them be excluded. And so when they speak about um, their definitions, they could be pulling that from their own experiences, they could also be pulling it from the way in which disability is represented in our society, where True. we focus on the negative in a variety of different ways. Um, mm-hmm. When I looked at the pictures, um, these were really fun to analyze. Uh, mm-hmm. I should mention that I don't have a background in art uh, or, or interpretation of art. So it was very much a basic level of analysis, but mm-hmm. I did find that students understand disability Uh, or drew characters with disabilities primarily um, with physical disabilities. Uh, More than half of the students, in fact, drew characters with physical disabilities. Um, And so this really aligned with some of my other work where I found that students with physical disabilities, um, students were more likely to have positive attitudes toward physical disabilities compared to other disabilities. And so I think part of that has to do with familiarity. Mm -hmm. Um, But a threshold concept in disability studies and education Um, Is the idea that disability is a diverse human experience. And so that is something we really need students uh, to understand, because if they finish their schooling, and they never meet someone, you know, with a different type of disability. And so it's really important for them to understand, first of all, that disability is diverse. Mm -hmm. And then the next step is, and that diversity is valuable. Um, so that those are those are concepts that on the teacher end of things or um, whoever's running the lessons, those are sort of like little goals that you might have for uh, for your lessons. But but the way in which you get there can can certainly differ.
1: Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I, I'm sorry if I cut the flow of your uh, description of the program with this. No, that no. just Popped up to me. No, this was great. Oh, well, be a good place to ask this Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah Mm -hmm. so go ahead go ahead so with the lesson the example that you were sharing so first you would ask them to draw and explain what disability meant to them to get a baseline and right and
0: so and actually it works out perfectly so so it's actually great that you mentioned this Um, because now what what you would do in the lesson or what what I what I propose that they do that folks do in the lessons that I've developed again these aren't the only way that you can approach this but um, then I propose that we we have a a class discussion um, and we develop a, a mind map where we write the word disability and I say, okay, well, someone, you know, who wants to introduce their character to the class? And, you know, students are really excited to introduce their character that they've developed and, you know, for the most part. And, and, uh, and you say, Oh, you know, this is, this is uh, Bob and he has a, uh, he has a prosthetic limb. That was a real example from, from the data. And that's mm-hmm. okay, great. So we'll put Bob up on this board here. So let's say, so we'll talk about people who have prosthetic limbs or, or people who uh, have an amputated limb and, um, then somebody else would say oh this is so and so and they have autism say, okay autism let's put that up on the mind map and someone would say this person's in a wheelchair and i say okay well, let's put that up on the mind the mind map and 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 then you know i say to the students after everyone's had an opportunity to to, to share what other disabilities do you know about and and then we make this really full mind map and mm-hmm. this allows students to visually see the diversity of disability which gets to that that point that we were just making which i think which is why i think it's great that that we, we had that little, uh, segue. So, so this is just, that that's just the first lesson of the tripartite intervention in a nutshell, basically. And as the students go through the, the lessons in this, um, in this, in this intervention or in this series of lessons, mm-hmm. um, they get exposed to a variety of different ideas and thoughts. Um, they get to challenge their preconceived notions of disability if they have any, um, mm-hmm. and they're, they're presented with, some different ideas, um, some more progressive ideas about what disability is. And in doing so, it it provides students the opportunity to consider these ideas. Uh, I'm not a big fan of telling students, I think it was Margaret Mead who said we should teach, I'm going to paraphrase this, but uh, we should teach students um, um, how to think, not what to think. Mm -hmm. And so I'm a big believer in that. We're presenting these ideas as an option, um, a different representation of disability than maybe they're used to and then students are bright enough and experienced enough to to come to their own conclusions and and see how that gets embodied in an inclusive classroom for example or in their community.
1: Wow. Wow, this is I can totally visualize a class you teaching a class like that right now. It's um it's interesting and then part of the program is you have them experience playing a para um, sport right mm-hmm. they did the sledge hockey in your program
0: yeah so so as you mentioned earlier I'm from Canada and in Canada we, we love hockey so <laughs> um, I, I selected hockey because we we're going to a, a Canadian school and and I wanted it to be fun for the students uh, although any pair of sport could be um, utilized in this and and in my other paper where I described the intervention which you can link in the show notes also mm-hmm. um, I talk about how this could be this could be sitting volleyball it could be goal uh, goal ball um, there's a variety of different things you could do. Um, yeah, so we did sledge hockey. We had some sledge hockey, um, para sport athletes come in and introduce the sport and talk about their experience and talk about their disability, which is really important because Mm -hmm. in my systematic literature review, um, I found that that contact experiences are really important. So, uh, we wanted to make sure that students had an opportunity to meet a person with a disability or people with a disability. Mm -hmm. We had a male and female athlete come into the classroom, talk about para sports, introduce, um, show them some equipment, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And then um, we spent some gym classes uh, playing roller sledge hockey uh, and teaching students how to play roller sledge hockey, which give them a sort of non-threatening opportunity to exp- to embody mm-hmm. um, the experience of disability temporarily. Now, this strategy in the intervention I should mention uh, is has been criticized by some people to say, you know, we don't want students to have be, you know, experiencing the fun uh, and then, and then it's over and then that's it. Um, But it can be done correctly if there's the proper debriefing. And so a big important part of that is then to have classroom discussions with students about what their experiences was was like. Um, And what I observed in the classroom is that students started to challenge their notion of ability. Um, When they see the parasport athletes in the gym being the most able bodied
1: because Mm. they're the most
0: skilled and talented athletes there. Um, but yet they're the ones who have a quote-unquote disability, the students begin to flip this idea on its head of what exactly does it mean to have a disability and how have my uh, views of ability been limited? Uh, I think, I think you know, that's more of an implicit observation that I made, but um, you know, we'd have to talk to the students more and with interviews and things like that to really see if that's the case. But it seemed to me that students really started to connect the dots during those embodied experiences.
1: Yeah, I can see it being really powerful when the perspective shifts to the ability part, right? You start seeing them more than what the disability um, framework that people have in their minds right. uh, gives them a perception of to what they can do. And I think that's a that's a really nice experience I can imagine. Um so talking about so about you mentioned that one of the findings of your the systematic literature review on attitude of mm-hmm. children was when they had more contact with people with disabilities, mm-hmm. they ended up having better attitudes, more positive attitudes. Right. What other findings do you have that you can share?
0: Yeah, sure. So basically, the systematic literature review, I should mention, covers the most recent literature on the topic. So it's a it's a it's a date bounded literature review. Um, and I, I, I separate the field of research into Three major categories, but we'll focus on two of them. Um, the categories are determinant studies, uh, intervention studies, and then other systematic literature reviews. And so um, we'll focus on determinant and intervention studies. So determinant studies are those that look at factors that are associated with positive, neutral, or negative attitudes. So um, some of the fa- uh, some of the factors that are associated with more positive attitudes um, mm-hmm. are gender. So uh, female students tend to have significantly more positive attitudes towards disability. Um, we could talk about that a little bit more later if you wish, because I'm sort of going to um, take a, uh, um, a deeper dive on that in the next study that I'm looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, contact is one of the other... So this is in order of prevalence, by the way. So the, the mo- most studies found that female students... I mean, there are some exceptions, but most studies found that females had more mm-hmm. positive attitudes than males. Mm-hmm. Um, contact, those students who had uh, even indirect contact, but especially direct contact with people with disabilities were more likely to have positive attitudes. This contact could come in the form of... Um, most commonly in the literature um, in inclusive education classrooms. Uh, So this is just one more reason why um, we should include students with exceptionalities or disabilities uh, in the classroom with their same age peers, um, because Mm -hmm. it actually has positive impacts on the students with the disabilities and and on students um, without disabilities in the classroom. Um, When we looked at age, there was mixed findings, so there's more research that needs to be done there. Mm-hmm. Um, type of disability, we can look at um, things like visible versus invisible disabilities. Uh, students had more positive attitudes towards the former, mm-hmm. um, and that also might that that um, negative attitude towards more invisible disorders like behavioral disorders or learning disabilities um, might also um, start to bleed into the literature on mental health stigma because that sometimes can be uh, invisible uh, mm-hmm. as well or hidden. Mm -hmm. Um, we found that when, when students had more knowledge of disability, um, Mm -hmm. it was more, they had more positive attitudes towards disability, but this was limited on its own. As I mentioned before, including beyond the cognitive dimension is helpful in interventions. Mm -hmm. And, um, I also found that looking at role models, attitudes towards disability is something that warrants further investigation. So we need more literature, more recent literature on Mm -hmm. parents' attitudes and teachers' attitudes and how that affects um, students' attitudes towards disability. So that is, those were the determinant findings.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, then we can turn our, our, our attention to the intervention literature. Um, mm-hmm. So these are studies like mine that tried to implement some type of intervention to increase or enhance students' attitudes uh, towards disability. And in general, I found that uh, interventions were effective, although there is a need for more longitudinal data. Um, I found that 10 of the 11 studies that included uh, that were effective included a behavioral dimension. So that seems to be um, um, critical. These included things like role playing, contact Mm -hmm. experiences, simulations, Paralympic sports, um, things of that nature. Mm -hmm, Um, And the length of the intervention, um, we found that some interventions were half day long, others were eight weeks long, and they were effective. So there's still some Literature to be done on that, but um, but again, we want to look at what the long-term effects are, and that data doesn't really seem to be present. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's sort of the the I guess high-level overview of those findings. Okay,
1: okay. that's that's really interesting, and there it just seems to be a dearth of research out there on what interventions it's just interventions you said you found about twelve. In your... um, there
0: were 14 interventions, um, uh, 11 of which were found to have significant impacts on students' attitudes towards disability in, in the uh, measures immediately after the intervention. Again, the long-term measurements, so looking at it a year later, two years later, those are more uh, few and far between.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So in Canada, I know about your program, but are there other programs that are prevalent that address attitudes towards disabilities or bring about disability awareness?
0: Um, there certainly are um, uh, many programs internationally, um, uh, and some of which, some of which are um, research-based, and others are um, from the private sector. And so you have programs like the Rick Hansen Foundation, and they've been working uh, for a long time um, at providing materials to teachers to, to you know, talk about disability. Um, there are other ones even locally. That, uh, that are present. They do um, different disability awareness campaigns and different school boards adopt different things. Um, so there certainly are other interventions out there. I think the thing that I would really wanna hammer home for your, for your viewers is that, um, is that the intervention that I've developed is based on the theory of disability studies and education, which is a relatively new discipline. Um, mm-hmm. And all of the strategies that I use are based on the findings from my systematic literature review. So I only use evidence-based practices, mm-hmm. with the exception of the affective-based lessons, because there just wasn't that much research on, on that in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm not suggesting necessarily that, that teachers or occupational therapists or whomever are going to be um, utilizing these lessons only use my lessons. In fact, I hope that my lessons become a launching pad for Teachers to develop more creative and better ideas, um, mm-hmm. but but really get the conversation um, started. But but whatever approach one takes, I would just want to really emphasize the importance of using evidence-based practices. So using the practices that we know work, because you can do a lot of damage if you don't. If you if you sort of go with your own preconceived notions and you present ideas that aren't based in these these uh, theories and and evidence findings, then it could have harmful effects. Um, so just something to be mindful of.
1: I think you make a make an excellent point because we often presume assume that we know how to teach things or how to um, address things based just on our own experience. But the more you read and the more you understand, there is just mm-hmm. so much out there. And, and I think you have packaged your your program really nicely. And also your systematic review is just a a plethora is just an amazing resource for anyone wanting to start any any, um, intervention like this in schools. Now, is this something that's kind of mandatory and commonly applied in schools like disability awareness programs in Canada?
0: Um, Well, I, I don't know that I can speak to Canada in general because we're we're a very large country with a very diverse approaches um, in different provinces and different regions. Um, I will say that in general, there has been a move at least politically and, and philosophy, uh, philosophically to, to have more of a focus on um, equity, inclusion, and diversity. Mm -hmm. And so with that, we can start to have conversations about um, disability and how that fits into that conversation. I think that, um, some school boards are more progressive than others, and I think that um, um, part of my goal in Ontario, at least, and hopefully beyond, would be to um, educate the the folks that are making those decisions and help them to realize the importance of including it. Of mm-hmm. course, it can be challenging sometimes because this um, um, can be outside of the curriculum, but I think there are lots of ways that you can connect this stuff to the curriculum as well.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what are your next steps in your journey towards um, promoting social inclusion hmm. and addressing attitudinal values?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I'm a very future-oriented person. I'm always thinking about what's next, what's next. So um, in terms of my research journey, um, right now, my team and I are uh, working with a grant from the uh, WeSpark Health Institute and a partnership with Canadian Tire Jumpstart Charities. Uh, we're also ho- hoping to partner with the Ontario Parasports Sports. Um, organization and we're hoping to um, have a, a some some replication studies of mm-hmm. the 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 tripartite intervention because the first study was only with you know um, two classes one experimental one control and so we want to um, definitely have a more diverse and larger sample to really promote the effectiveness of the tripartite intervention and or if we find that um, there aren't the effects aren't as robust as we we hoped, then um, that's an opportunity for us to reflect and make changes to the intervention. Um, I also want to so I want to contribute to the intervention literature, but I also want to contribute to the determinant literature as well uh, by looking at factors that have been um, unexamined or for which there's a lack of data. Um, So, for example, um, we're hoping to look at psychological factors, which are surprisingly underrepresented in this field. I was really surprised by that because attitude is a is a psychological construct. And so I expected psychologists to be looking at a variety of different mm-hmm. psychological factors in relation to attitudes towards disability, but there weren't as many as I thought there would be. So that presents an opportunity for us. We are currently looking at um, students' personality and students' mindset. So looking at um, the work of Carol Dweck and um, growth and fixed mindset and personality, we're using um, the, the five uh, factors of personality, which are openness to experience, um, extroversion, agreeableness, um, uh, neuroticism Mm -hmm. um, and and conscientiousness, I missed. Um, So 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 I I said earlier, you know, one of the things that the field tells us is that um, females have more positive attitudes than males. And so what I'm interested in looking at is personality, because personality, there's there's a uh, wealth of literature that talks about sex differences in personality, Mm -hmm. and I have a hunch. That personality plays a big factor in how attitudes develop. In particular, mm-hmm. I believe that um, the agreeable trait, which is more commonly um, scored high among females,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and the subcomponent of agreeableness, which is um, uh, compassion and politeness, mm-hmm. I think compassion, uh, high scores on compassion, are going to be associated with more positive attitudes. And that will help to explain why females tend to have more positive attitudes. And then that opens up a plethora of ideas for me anyways and probably other researchers uh uh, for you know okay so what does that mean and how do we go about um helping all students become uh more compassionate and what are some of the limitations of that because compassion could be associated with a charity model and so like are these positive attitudes really just you know um um not that not great and progressive understands the disability in disguise. So these are all the the ideas that are swirling around in my head and and I really hope we can start to address them.
1: Yeah, I think they are amazing. Very, very, very important and very nice um, ideas that you have. And I hope that you are able to contribute so much more to the body of knowledge in this Mm -hmm. space. (laughs) You have a lot of promise in you, Dr. Friedrich. Thank you. Yeah, we're really
0: looking forward to doing it. And, you know, it it other it presents other ethical questions too like if it is a personality difference um is that something we want to to try to change right do we want to continue to try to change people's personality because that's also an important piece of diversity is how people differ on personality traits and so it's just a it's a it's a pandora's box of, of research which makes it very exciting
1: yeah yeah definitely and i think there is such a shift in the mindset of people like even our profession occupational therapy such a heavily female dominant profession, but lately there've been such a Mm -hmm. increase in the number of male students enrolling in the programs. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I think there is so much more of a a change um, you know, gender wise to people being more open to accepting who they are and certain stereotyped notions of personalities I think are all being shaken. (laughs)
0: Mm-hmm. absolutely yeah, it's a it's a whole new world out there right now for sure and people are certainly um challenging preconceived notions and i think we're on the right track
1: mm-hmm. yes yes so anything else you wish that i had asked you and you know i think we covered a lot
0: today i think your i think your listeners have a lot to unpack and think about um you know if people are interested in in learning more about disability studies and the medical model or uh versus the social model or if they want to Learn more about the tripartite intervention. You know, um, I would welcome folks to email me. As you know, uh, I do respond when people email me, so because yes, I think that's do. how we got in touch. It was a cold call, so um, <laughs> I, I'm very happy to to entertain questions and and uh, um, and just set, ati- set aside time for conversations. So I think that's that's really important.
1: Thank you so much. And if you were to leave our listeners with a final takeaway what would that be? I know you've given a lot of great things, but if you were to put them all together and leave us with one or two. Yeah.
0: I mean, I would say that um, um, as I'm assuming that many of your listeners are educators in one way or another, whether occupational therapies or teachers. uh, Mm -hmm. And so what I would say is that as educators, we have a responsibility um, to teach children about diverse experiences and to represent diverse experiences to our students, because, It's been said, you know, I'm not the first to say this, but I'll reiterate it. Um, Education, schools are a microcosm for our society. I think you have something very similar in the description of your podcast. Um, And so when we when we think about schools as a microcosm for society, we have to start to ask ourselves how we can create a better society. And we need to we need to be mindful of different experiences and um, try to tap into the human potential in all of our students that exist and that includes students with disabilities. Um, so, you know, that could be, that starts with simple actions, simple actionable items that you can start implementing right away, whether it's including a storybook with a person with a disability so that students can be exposed to these ideas or um, it's taking a professional development just to challenge your own pre- preconceived notions. Cause we also grew up, um, you know, receiving messages from media uh, of charity and inspiration um, and, and shame and, and so many hurtful, uh, harmful um, presentations of disability. And so we need to think mm-hmm. more deeply uh, about our own preconceived notions and how we can help students to be exposed to a variety of different representations of disability.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you so much, John. And um, I'm, I'm definitely going to add your articles and your contact. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: we'll be getting people reaching out to you soon.
0: <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much for having me on. It was a pleasure. And uh, your questions are very thoughtful. And um, I, hope, I hope people, as to go back to an earlier thing I said in the podcast, I hope people find this useful.